What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Wars. I am your host, David Hockney, and I am joined once again by Ross McLeod. Ross, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, not bad. Not too bad. How are you feeling after seeing War Games this weekend? <laughs> uh, I think we were all a wee bit worried that there was only four matches going on to the card, but I think the the entire card delivered. You know, every match could be a contender for match of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think. An NXT takeover never lets us down, and the marquee matches themselves, would you say they lived up to the hype? 100%. Mm-hmm. So, before we uh, we go into that, we're just uh, just to give a wee sort of overrun of today's episode, is we're going to review the two sort of War Games matches, and then we'll go on to our regular weekly review of Dynamite and NXT TV. But before we do so, if you want to listen to this show and many other shows we have on our, on our Patreon page, uh, suplexretweet.com forward slash Patreon, and make sure you're subscribed to our weekly shows on iTunes, Anchor, and Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. And make sure you're also following us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And don't forget to sign up for our community page, as well as visiting suplexretweet.com for all the interviews, articles, and shows that we've got uh, in the near future. So, Ross, are you ready to sort of analyze the the wounds of war, shall we say? (laughs) Uh, Yes, I am. All right, so let's uh, let's kick things off with the women's war games match. Now, quite a few things really sort of transpired during that during that contest. Given that Rhea Ripley's team was already at a disadvantage with uh, Team Baszler winning the ladder match and gaining the advantage, but by the end of it, she was basically down two competitors. But she was in there by herself with Candice LeRae against all four members of Team Baszler, as of course Dakota Kai as we anticipated turned heel, but maybe not quite in the way we, we expected. Is that, uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think we thought she would maybe either be number four and then walk out, or she would go into the match and then maybe turn on someone in the match. Um, kind of like Sting did at War Games a few years ago. But, no, I don't think Indy saw his like her coming in third and then just brutalising uh, poor Tegan Knox, oh, going after the knee. Say that again? That's an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> going after the knee, having to be dragged off by William Regal twice, coming back out, you know, just... It, it was one of these segments, like, it landed, don't get me wrong, but these segments, if they don't land, they feel like they can go on for ages. Uh-huh. Whereas this, you know, it felt... Like, every second was filled properly, you know. You had motive behind it, you know. Dakota wanted to be on the team. Rhea Ripley said, you know, you're not up for it. Um, she, I think we'll find out in the next coming weeks that she took out Mia Yim. I hope that's um, going to be the case, yeah. Because do you think uh, yeah. we, we missed the trick having not seen Mia Yim in that match? Not really, no, because I think Mia is... Something we'll talk about later when we come to the AEW's women's division and a lot of the wrestlers there. It is a lot of, you should like them. Why? Because they were big on the indies. I think that's sort of the <clears throat> the situation we find ourselves in with Mia Yim. You know, she was the last challenger to Shayna Baszler's title. Rhea Ripley had to be brought in for NXT UK to give her some, you know, competition. This whole War Games has fleshed out the division and, you know, allowed more people to show a bit of character. But... 
Mia Yim's still just sort of there, you know, this HBIC character. It's it's pretty bland, to be honest, so I'm not exactly disappointed because another bland character, Dakota Kai, got a massive facelift and is now possibly one of the most interesting characters in the women's division of NXT. Oh, definitely. And because I think, we you know, we were assuming, well, in our sort of preview last week, we assumed that Dakota Kai would be sort of an outsider. Well, that was my prediction anyway, that she would be an outsider heel interference. But the fact that she got on the team and basically destroyed it from within, that was, uh, I think that was quite, quite interesting. But even still, Team Rhea ended up getting the win. Do you think that was the, the right decision? I think so, because... We've got the we've got the Worlds Collide coming up at uh, Royal Rumble weekend, and then the actual takeover is a standalone takeover. I actually think this might be, um, you know, we always complain about how you do February and March pay per views. I think they might just be doing a March pay per view this year, and NXT will be a standalone pay per view as the third brand. So you need someone to go up against Shayna, and if someone can go up against you know, two to four odds, you know, and win, then it makes it realistic that she'll win one-on-one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think we also predicted that Io Shirai would do a result off the cage, which we got spot on. But just uh, one last thing before uh, before we move on to the men's, war ga- the men's War Games match. I think we've got to give a shout-out to Kaylee Ray. You know, she's uh, came in as a sort of, like, outside pick for Team Shayna, and I think it's safe to say she delivered, didn't she? Yeah, uh, you know, as we talked on the Survivor Series review, me and you, uh, the NXT Women's UK Champion got a better weekend than the NXT Male UK Champion. Yeah. Oh, honestly, Walter yes. was, just, uh, was just ruined that weekend, I think. Or just wasn't paid. I don't paid think he was ruined. I, just, I think he was underutilised. Whereas Kaylee Ray showed... You know what fans in the UK have been seeing for years that she's you know at that level yeah definitely so all in all I think it was a good uh, opening match to start us off with and let's uh, let's talk about the the men's war games match now so team Champa getting the win over undisputed era which I think that's what most of us were predicting but did you expect the fourth man for Team Champa to be Kevin Owens? Uh, absolutely not. No, I uh, I'd not seen uh, Monday Night Raw from the week before. Mm-hmm. So because I hadn't seen Raw, I hadn't seen you know the beatdown of Kevin Owens by the Undisputed Era. I hadn't seen Triple H try to recruit him, and you know everything else that went on there. So I didn't even think, oh, maybe Kevin Owens will try to get his revenge. But in fairness, you know, as we've mentioned before, I, I run the sweeps. Yeah. It's Suplex Retweet. And not one person thought Kevin Owens. That, that's what adds to the surprise factor of it. and Because it was such a, a left-field pick. And even men- it was mentioned on commentary as well that I think Kevin Owens was attacked by Undisputed Era uh, that week on Raw. But nobody really mm-hmm. paid much attention to it. They thought they were going to go with a, like a firm NXT talent at this stage. So having him come back for that stint of retribution and the angle he's playing on Raw, I think that was played to perfection. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
Uh, and that spot, the, the the spot that closed the match with Champa doing the air raid siren to Adam Cole from the oh, top Jesus. of the cage, the two tables. I mean, could you could you have picked a better finish for that kind of match? No, hundred percent. Champ, sorry, Adam Cole seems to have a thing about you know big cage spots. He had one with uh, Johnny Gargano and the yep. three stages of hell match. You know. It, <laughs> He's just one of these people that seems up for anything, you know. The fact that Champa, you know, knee surgery, neck surgery, all within the last, you know, two to three years, is still willing to, you know, take that sort of leap of faith off the cage. Yeah. Just shows the commitment of these guys. That's It's insane, you know, because I would not have expected Champa to do something like that, especially so soon after returning from neck surgery, but it delivered. And, but not to take anything away from the other guys in this match, uh, do you think Undisputed Era, Keith Lee and Dijakovic did their part pretty well? Keith Lee had an absolute breakout weekend. Keith Lee, you know, the big bruiser in that match. And then, obviously, the next night on Survivor Series. Uh, Dijakovic, I think, did well, but he's just kind of been overshadowed with the fact that he wasn't on Team NXT the next night and wasn't, you know... He's not Keith Lee, basically, you know what I mean? But everyone in this match did they? Adam Cole, his usual self, Kyle O'Reilly selling, selling like a beast, you know. Roderick Strong, the workhorse, starting the match. Bobby Fish coming in like a man possessed, as he always does. I, I thought they were great. Yeah, I think everybody sort of did their part. And you know you said about Keith Lee and Dijakovic, this was actually their first takeover match. So having it on such a high-profile sort of war games tight match it definitely paints them in a good light going forward so here's hoping we see sort of more of them on the big stage going forward yeah 100% so that's our sort of brief review of the war games match we're going to jump now into this week's AEW Dynamite and to be honest it was kind of like that week of Thanksgiving you know everything's a bit more sort of low-key and the holiday special it kind of beefs up the whole sort of face heel dynamic a bit more but with AEW, they sort of do this sort of grand Thanksgiving celebration to open with Chris Jericho going through like gift giving, having the the inner circle and his dad come out. Do you think this was a? What, what did you make of this segment? You know, it was it was quite funny. We've seen these sort of big, you know, celebration segments before. They sometimes fall flat. But Jericho and the inner circle tend to be. Or, you know, are the most entertaining thing on AEW at the minute. I thought it was funny. I thought it was, you know, a good way to build to the, the title match later on, you know, because SCU dressed as, you know, I believe marching band members or something like that. Yep. And they they run in, it sets up the angle. It's it's always good when a when a show has like a, a story running through it. And, you know, this was two segments that were taken up by, you know, first off the celebration and secondly the world title match. So I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, and obviously the introduction, well, the introductions being done by Soul Train Jones or Virgil, as we what we know him. So that was. Do you think it was weird having having him there as well, or do you think having him was a nice addition? I think they thought it would be funny to have him there, and they thought, how cheaply can we get him there? My bet is five dollars and a hot dog. <laughs> and then, do you think it worked? Well, of course it worked. He was there. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, 
but obviously Jericho's very was in a very generous mood as well. He gave everybody fifty cents off uh, Jericho T-shirts, and you can even get his own Nep- Nepalese uh, bubbly now. So he was uh, pretty much in a generous mood. That's when a meme goes too far when they're starting to sell bubbly. Yeah, well, I mean, it's capitalising on the hype because it was a a big meme going forward. I wonder if it's by the brand uh, Knocking Point because that's um, that's Stephen Amell's wine range and he had a, a range of wines with Cody uh, that had like polka dots on them in memory of Dusty. Ah, oh, oh, maybe. But I think you, I think this segment kind of dragged on a bit as well because it, it went on for, well, on the tapings here in the UK, I think they went on for the first half hour, 25 minutes. And they had to cut to a commercial because I think there was a uh, they were having difficulty with Jake Hager bringing the the goat out. Like, there's a sense you never thought you'd say on this show. Yeah, they because I think that's just got to the point where it's like, oh, we're crying out loud. This is just getting ridiculous now. And if there's anything, if there's any phrase that comes to mind is when I'm watching that, it's never work with animals or children. Or Jake Hager. Or. <laughs> Oh gosh, don't let him hear you say that. But uh, yeah, it was a. I think it was a really sort of dragged on segment. So, but I suppose it was a, a good way to open with Jericho and the inner circle, definitely. So we're just yeah. going through some of the the key highlights uh, of AEW this week. We had Pack versus Omega Two. We had MJF versus Hangman Page for the Dynamite Diamond. And obviously, as before mentioned, we had Chris Jericho versus Scorpio Sky for the AEW World Title. Was there any match or segment in particular that you want to that really sort of caught your attention? Well, one of them in a bad way because I, I referenced it earlier when we talked about Mia Yim, but um, the the women's tag team match. I beat and Emi Sakura versus Hiroki Shida and uh, Statlander. I think that's her name. I think so, Chris Dantland. Chris yeah. Dantland, um, yeah. This, uh, is it Amy Sakura? Amy Sakura, yeah. Yeah, so, basically, you know, you've got Kenny Omega telling you in hype packages, you should, she's a legend in Japan, she's, you know, wrestled for 23 years, she's trained all these people, and it's it's that sort of arrogant thing that AEW have been doing, where it's, you should like these people, because they've done so much, and mm-hmm. it was, see, for a while, NXT sort of had that mentality when they brought in like Eric Young pre-Sanity, Roderick Strong pre-Undisputed Era, Bobby Roode before he won, you know, the NXT title and got the glorious entrance and all that. Yep. It was sort of, why should we care about these people? Because they've won titles elsewhere. You're, and you're just like, well, I don't watch elsewhere. And I've not seen enough from, like, on Dynamite and that full year from MAT say oh yeah I, I i get what this is about she to me she's just a, a freddie mercury cosplayer and then the other women in the division they're just sort of getting lost because other than rio who was champion brandy rhodes who's you know the managing director awesome kong who you know from tna because she's such a such a presence and Britt baker because she's mrs adam cole like you don't you don't know anybody else in the division unless you're following you know American Indies or you followed, you know, Japanese women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it, it just seemed like, let's get as many people out there so we can 
so we can, you know, show off this division. But it, it didn't do that for me. No, I think I agree. You know, like most of this women's division, I don't even recognise half of these people. Largely because, you know, I think you touched on a really good point. I think AEW is sort of under the assumption that, you know, the fans expect to know who these people are because they're assumed to be indie marks. They watch anything except WWE. So they should have a wide array of knowledge about who these people are. But what they fail to capitalize on is building these characters from sort of a base level in AEW. Like they're just relying on their sort of past success in other other promotions to sort of carry them to superstardom and you know get fan support behind them but it's just not doing anything at all and the same could be said for some of the male talent as well like sure maybe maybe they've been successful in like in other parts of the world but the AEW fans you know this is a a new company it's a new product a new show you need to give them some sort of uh, some sort of ground to work with otherwise nobody's going to know who they are and they're just going to fall flat in the eyes of the fans Something as well, you know, we've got this ranking system. We had, you know, originally it was going to be, you know, the winner of the Casino Battle Royal versus the winner of Rio and I can't remember who, who she fought uh, all out, but... Hikaru Shida. Was it? Right. Yeah. So there you go. It, it was going to be those. Uh, it was going to be the winner of those two matches. Uh, if you're going to have this ranking system and you're going to have this, you know tag tournament why didn't you have maybe the women in just random matches and just say to the audience listen we're gonna you know maybe have 10 people and you know sit or even there you go um you have 15 women right and they're they're all fighting amongst each other on maybe the first four or five episodes of dynamite and dark and whoever's top of the rankings gets a bite of the next round so then the other 14 women will have one-off elimination matches. Mm-hmm. That will take them into the next round. And then you've got a final eight and you've got an eight-women tournament. And it fleshes out the characters more. It, it makes you, you know, it shows you what these people can do in the ring. Maybe have, you know, the promo packages that they had in the NXT breakout tournament when wrestlers were making their entrance. Here's what you have to see from, you know, Cameron Grimes. Here's what you have to see from... Jordan Miles, here's what you have to see from this one, that one. You know, bring me into it, make me care. You know, it's it's simple enough to do. And if you told the fans that in advance, that, by the way, there's going to be a ranking system after maybe three or four weeks, then we're going to give someone a bye and give them a tournament. Then we're going to crown our first women's champion. The fans would have gave you leeway because you're building a division. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that sort of leads into another sort of error that I don't think AEW is really capitalizing on. It's given giving these people enough promo time, you know, backstage vignettes to sort of highlight, you know, their characters and who they are. You know, at least give them give the people something to work with. Don't just assume that these people are great just because of, you know, what they've done in other places. And I, that's I think that could be a, a big mistake going forward, especially with their women's division. Like an area of wrestling that's been getting a ton of hype this year across all promotions, particularly uh, with WWE. But that's what that's what's happening every time I'm watching. All I see is just people in matches. I don't see any sort of backstage vignettes or you know people cutting promos or character development at all. And 
that's really sort of making me lose interest in you know particular people. Yeah, and the thing is here, you know, shows like you know New Japan, where on the shows it's just wrestling, but you know they have the press conferences, you know the pre-match and post-match press conferences to build character development, to build promo segments, and you know all of that's available on the streaming service that New Japan offers. So, you know, it's all in the one place, you know where to get it. So if just the wrestling's not your thing, the promo pre-match and the promo post-match is available to you. I think if AEW are going to be running a show on YouTube, like Dark, they should also maybe have a Talking Smack style show on their YouTube channel. Because it seems like, like even Adam Page leaving the Elite, that wasn't a thing on AEW. That was a show part of being the elite. Yeah. So if you don't watch that show, you don't know that Adam Page is no longer affiliated with, you know, the Bucks and Cody and that. Uh-huh. Yeah, speaking of Hangman Page, you know, he went against MJF in that Dynamite Diamond match, which they've revealed is now going to be an annual thing. So the winner gets a $45,000 ring. And was it just me or did this match seem kind of short to you? Yeah, um, Adam Page was the the sort of face they were building this company around. You know, he had the he won the Casino Battle Royal. He beat Kip Sabian. He was in the main event against Chris Jericho. He then, I believe, he did he not beat Pack at Full Gear. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, because he he lost on the. The debut episode of Dynamite to him. Yeah, yeah, this, this was their second match. Yeah, he won that. Yeah, he, he was sort of, you know, the face that seemed like they were building. Then they went with the decision to give the title to Jericho. Then he sort of just floundered. Now he's back in contention. Now he's floundering again. I'm just hoping that they don't wait too long to maybe pull the trigger because... He's clearly someone that the AEW fans like. He's clearly a good wrestler. And I just don't want to see like a Braun Strowman situation where he gets put in the title match so many times and then doesn't win it. Because then you just lose interest. Yeah, but I suppose the, the one positive thing we get out of this is MGF, he comes across as you know, arguably the biggest heel in the company at this stage, and with Wardlow, Wardlow giving him assistance, it really sort of paints him in a, as, as the company's top heel. Is Wardlow just going to attack faces from the 90s, you know what I mean? He attacked Billy Gunn, he uh -huh. attacked DDP. Yeah, who was presenting the, the ring to MJF as well. Yeah, I think it's just like people from the 90s, you know, next week he's going to attack two cold Scorpio for Christ's sake. <laughs> It'll be like uh, old old days of WCW, but if it keeps going at this rate. Oh God, Glacier better watch out then. <laughs> yeah, uh, and another, another sort of match that we, or another sort of segment that we saw is Cody makes his return after full gear in a pretty sort of standard squash match against uh, Matt Nix, I think, a Chicago, Chicago local guy. Yeah, I think this was just to get Cody back in the ring on TV, basically. Yeah, 
But that wasn't the highlight of that segment because we get this new trio emerging from under the ring. We've got Blade Butcher and Ali dressed up as a bunny for some reason. Yeah, the bunny thing's always sort of been her gimmick in TNA and Impact Wrestling. Okay. Uh, she had this whole like, demon bunny gimmick where basically she teamed with Rosemary, who was sort of a satanic character. And it was sort of like Finn Balor's demon. Like, you know, Ali was a sweet, innocent, Bailey-level character. Mm-hmm. But when needed, she brought out, like, the demon money. Okay. That's like something out of... Uh... I know, it's, a, it, it's one of those things, if this wasn't pro wrestling, you'd be like, that sounds weird. Yeah, if WWE was doing it, I think you know, the fans would have just ruined it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, just a couple more matches I want to touch upon. Uh... Pack versus Omega. Uh, this is their sort of second match following uh, their first encounter at All Out, with Omega getting a, a cheeky roll-up for Retribution. Do you think these guys have some really good chemistry with each other? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Pack made his name with the sort of best of the Super Juniors and wrestling in Japan and wrestling that sort of indie-rific style that, you know, got him into WWE we saw it in WWE he had a totally different style from everyone else and then obviously you've got Kenny Omega who is possibly the most followed star that was wrestling in Japan you know until his departure in January Mm -hmm. for at least three years so the styles mesh pretty well and I seen a review of this saying oh it was a good TV match no it was a good match in general like it was 100 miles an hour, they didn't give up. Yeah, and I think Pax really sort of come across as somebody who's definitely one of AEW's top contenders since arriving, because at the moment he's under AEW's ranking system, he's actually number one, which should put him in contention for a world title match. Do you see him getting that opportunity at some point? Don't see him getting an opportunity until a face is holding the title. I... Oh, God, I just actually thought of something. Um, no, we said Cody couldn't get another shot at the title. Yeah. I've got a feeling he's beaten MJF for his ring. Okay. So I just that, that's what I just popped in my head there. But <clears throat> until someone like maybe a Page or an Omega wins the title... Moxley, maybe? Who? Moxley? I can't see Moxley winning it. Even after what happened at the end of the, the taping? Nah, even though he wants him, I, I don't see him getting the title. Okay. But on that note, uh, let's actually turn our attention now to the AEW world title match between Chris Jericho and Scorpio Sky. Now, over the last sort of couple of weeks, these two have actually had quite a, quite a, a very solid but simple feud going for this title match here. And do you think Scorpio Sky came across quite well, given that this was his first singles match in AEW? Yeah, 100%. He, um, like, the whole storyline's been done very well, you know. The tag team wrestler picking up the win in a tag team match because it's not the single single star's forte. Playing on the ego of Chris Jericho to get the title match. Mm -hmm. The title match itself. I think... The past few weeks have done a great job of building Scorpio Sky into 
a lovable face. I think it's the best character development AEW's done, to be honest with you. Andy has the best uh, record in AEW, I believe. He's currently 9-3 in tag team action and 0-1 in singles competition. So he actually has one of the best records of of any competitor. So he's, he's being painted in this really positive light, the fact that he's a current tag team champion and he's arguably got the best win-loss record in their ranking system. So he's coming across like a, a big deal at the minute. Yeah, um, I think Chris Jericho with one loss is the only person that's got a got a better record than him. Um, I actually didn't know that he was nine and three. Well, um, but yeah, he's, he's been painted as this, you know, this baby face. This, you know, it, it's turned what were a trio of sort of heel tweeners into marketable baby faces. Mm-hmm. And he, he managed to, to dodge the Judas effect, but he fell victim to the sort of walls of Jericho. So do you think having him submit was the best thing, or do you think having him being pinned would have done him more damage? Uh, I, I don't think it harms him, because I think we I think we all knew he wasn't winning the title. I think we know that Jericho's the guy going forward for a good while longer. Yeah. And to be honest, it's just made... Like as the tag champs look that much better, you know, it's put a spotlight on the tag team champions. You know, the tag titles weren't a focus this week. Sorry, the number one contenders for the tag titles was a focus, but the tag titles weren't. Uh-huh. And it's allowed them to step back and find new challengers while keeping them on TV in a way that's made them look strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've done well, you know, highlighting them in uh, in singles competition. And as obviously title holders themselves, you know, giving them the airtime is definitely going to be beneficial. So one last thing before we sort of wrap up with AEW. Uh, Moxley comes through the crowd and stares down Chris Jericho from afar. I imagine, do you imagine this is going to be the next big feud for Chris Jericho? Uh, I do, but... They didn't really light the world on fire when they feuded in WWE. I mean, you can blame the Ambrose Asylum on, you know, WWE creative, but and in their singles match, the pay-per-view before, it just sort of dragged on. And honestly, it's not a, not a feud I want to see. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think it's worth a second shot, you know, given... You know, they've no got WWE creative behind them. They're not being sort of toned down anymore. And it's not Dean Ambrose anymore. It's John Moxley. This is the guy who's much more unhinged, much more of a of a, a lunatic inside the ring. And maybe this could add a new a new sort of dynamic going forward with Chris Jericho. So I think the fact that those changes are there, I'm interested to see if if it pans out. Just as long as they're not put in a in an asylum match, then we should be okay. Yeah, it won't be an Ambrose Asylum, it'll be uh, Moxley's Mayhem. <laughs> Moxley's Mayhem, I like, right. Get that trademarked as well, maybe AEW can buy it off us. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that's going to sort of wrap up AEW Dynamite this week. Overall, it did seem like a bit of a filler filler weekend, but a couple of good matches in between, and uh, yeah, pretty solid show overall, building new characters. So, we're going to spend the second half now talking about this week's NXT, the fallout of War Games and Survivor Series. And 
following the, the whole roster coming out and celebrating the, the big win, we uh, went straight into Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly going against Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic for the NXT Tag Team titles, which I think is a good way to kick off given the weekend that both the challengers had, in particular Keith Lee. But do you think having him pair with Dijakovic is a bit of an odd pairing? Um, I'm going to sound like such a hypocrite here because... I was complaining about AEW telling you you should care because they wrestled somewhere else. Uh, Keith Lee and Dijakovic teamed together on the Indies, known as the Monsters. Oh, from Space Jam? Yeah. Bad. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have said it was an odd couple pairing, but considering the, the rocket that should be strapped to Keith Lee after Survivor Series, I think Dijakovic will be holding him back at this point in time. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that when they go up, uh, they'll be going up as singles competitors. Yeah, they do seem seem better as singles competitors under WWE's banner, given that you know Keith Lee's popularity is really just you know, like I said, it skyrocketed following his performance at Survivor Series. But there was actually an interesting development in this match because Keith uh, threw Bobby Fish to the outside from the ring and he ended up having to get replaced by Roderick Strong mid-match because apparently it was a... He hit his head off the mat and got like some sort of concussion. So having Roderick Strong step in, do you think this affected the, the pace and the, the storytelling of this match? Not really, no. I think, um, like, Strong was O'Reilly's tag partner when Fish got injured the first time. I think, you know, it, it was just a natural replacement, and it's one of the good things about the Undisputed Era being a, a unit, is that they've got that free bird rule, you know, we've seen Cole, Fish, O'Reilly, and Strong all hold tag title gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose you're right. And, you know, we've seen Strong and O'Reilly team with each other as long as Bobby Fish was out injured with his knee injury. So, I mean, it was a good... Uh, I think the, the tag team dynamic was still there, but you could tell they were sort of having to make things up on the spot because, obviously, Bobby Fish's uh, injury was untimely. And even Roddy had to compete in... Yeah. Uh, he had to compete in Levi's, Calvin Klein's and Converse, which isn't very comfortable for uh, anybody. Ask Scorpio Sky. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think obviously that would affect the match because, you know, maybe Roderick Strong was there because he he was at ringside anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they're planned out a match or when they've planned a few spots or they've planned a finish, it, it does make it difficult when someone gets taken out of the match. You know, um, Strong took over on the, the high-low and ended up picking up the pin. Mm-hmm. So there is the whole... Like having to tell Roderick Strong, by the way, you know, in secret while the match is going on, by the way, you're the guy that's, you know, getting the pin, you're pinning Dijakovic. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, Undisputed Era get the win, but not without, you know, some interference from Adam Cole, which was <laughs> basically disrupted <laughs> in the most epic manner possible, where Keith Lee basically charges them and literally sends them flying about two rows into the, into the crowd. Like, what was your that was yeah? 
I was going to say, what was your reaction when you saw that? But I think Dijakovic's reaction pretty much summed it up. You know, eyes wide open, jaws popped, and it was wow. You can see him sort of half jump, and then you just see his face as like Keith Lee makes contact with him and have to go, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I think there was so many memes made with that gif as well. It was like when you're just minding your own business and then life hits you like, boom, like Keith Lee hits Adam Cole. Derek Hamilton put one up that says, any Scottish DJ at a party, the buffet is now open. <laughs> um, well, it's just like, someone just barges you out the way because the buffet's open. Basically, I charge and buy somebody's granny to get the last steak bake. <laughs> oh, that is magic. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the... I mean, I think it was a good solid opener, and that gift alone basically has just stolen the show. I just, I'm just glad nobody was hurt, because I mean that was a hell of a bump Cole took, given what he went through in War Games. Up next is uh, we have the the fallout from Women's War Games, where Candice LeRae going in as Tegan Knox's pissed off big sister against the new heel Dakota Kai, and. You could you could see the the heelish tendencies were there, you know, with Dakota coming out with Tegan's knee brace. It, it almost has shades of like Champ and Gargano. Would you say think that's fair to say? Um, a slightly toned down Champ Champ and Gargano, but yeah, Champ and Gargano nonetheless. Um, but I've seen a few things online, people complaining that Dakota Kai lost via via DQ and then get chased off by Rhea. I actually think that was perfect. Dakota Kai's new character is despicable. Dakota Kai's new character is, you know, it's still, you know, just because she's heel now doesn't mean she can all of a sudden beat up the bigger people. Yeah. She's still that underdog sort of character who can't hang with, you know, bigger, stronger wrestlers. So I think her winning by DQ, sorry, losing by DQ, using Tegan Knox's knee brace and then getting chased away by Rhea was like the perfect segment here. Mm. Do you think, you know, obviously Candice is the third member of the unofficial sort of team kick with her and Tegan Knox? Do you think having those two face each other so early on, do you think that was a, a wise move or do you think they should have took their time with it, let it sort of pan out a bit? No, I think you have to kind of strike while the iron's hot here. Um, but I think we know the feud is going to be Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox. So I think the Candice match would have happened on NXT TV at one point. It's better just to do it now. Yeah, I suppose so. And like you said, I think the DQ finish for Candice winning by DQ, that's probably the best way to go about it because it makes Dakota look strong, but it doesn't take anything away from, from Candice. Yeah, plus um, a Rhea Dakota Kai match is coming soon. And I've yeah. got a feeling Shayna is going to cost her it. So that'll be when Dakota Kai gets her big win. Her big win over uh, an established talent. Yeah, I could see that happening. And then Dakota could face Tegan at the takeover. Um, even the the worlds collide because Tegan's still technically NXT UK, so we could do it then. Okay. I mean, I mean, I thought I thought she'd move full time to the main to or to full sale NXT, but. If she's still NXT UK, I mean, it would it would fit the bill. Uh, we had another Cruiserweight title match this week, this time Leo Rush going against Kira Tozawa. 
so Tozawa obviously not the one being pinned in the Survivor Series triple threat match, so it does make sense having this match going forward. And I know we've sort of mentioned this a couple of times, but giving the Cruiserweights this kind of exposure on NXT TV, it, it just goes to show, like, it's, it's doing wonders for them right now. Um, yeah, but I think going forward, we're going to need at least two Cruiserweight matches on NXT, and they don't always have to feature Leo Rush or whoever's going for the title, because it just mm -hmm. seems sort of, Rush will defend the title, then there'll be an number one contenders match. Then Rush will defend the title. Then there's an number one contenders match. And it, it just sort of seems like it's getting a bit yeah. repetitive. Yeah, yeah that, that is a good point. Because the Cruiserweight title's been defended at least three times now on NXT in the space of, uh, I think it's about a month now. So I, I can see yeah. the repetitiveness comes in. But in all fairness, yeah, yeah. the War Games pre-show, we did have Isaiah Swerve Scott against Angel Garza. We did, but I mean, there was still no sort of storyline behind it other than just keeping Angel Garza hot. Mm. But he was attacked backstage by Leo Rush when he came back into the into the the curtain area. What um, at War Games? Yeah, I, I must have missed that. I, I, I never seen that. Yeah, no. Apparently, Leo Rush punched Garza in the face as soon as he came behind the curtain. So. I think like there's indications, you know, after war games that those two, those two are probably going to meet again at some point. Maybe that will be the next cruiserweight title match. But I think you're right about the cruiserweights needing a bit more exposure on NXT. Like we need to get more, more cruiserweight matches that aren't just title matches or number one contenders spots. Because you know, again, it comes back to you know what we were saying about AEW. We need character development. We need to showcase all this talent that they've got. So, the cruiserweight title scene, I think it's doing okay at the minute, but it just needs a bit of a rejig. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And finally, we come to NXT's main event this week. We have Tommaso Ciampa versus Finn Balor, which was announced sort of at the beginning of the show after Balor was cutting the promo alongside Undisputed Era. Uh, apparently, this is the first time they've faced each other in NXT. I don't know if they've faced each other anywhere else. Are you aware of any other encounters between these two? Uh, I'm not, but I did like the promo segment where he made reference to Prince Devitt, yep. Finn Balor's former name, where he said, Prince, you've just met your king. Yeah, definitely great, great promo work from both of them, but it's, it's Champa and Balor, you know, these guys could cut excellent promos as not just heel personas but also base characters and i like how kathy kelly sort of got a word in with both of them right before the match it really sort of hyped up as a as a big main event although i did feel a little bit of uh did you not think there was a little bit of awkwardness as well because obviously finn balor and kathy kelly used to used to date but obviously finn balor is now happily married to be honest that thought never crossed my mind <laughs> yeah I don't know. It just, it just sort of brought it back, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's his, that's his ex he's talking to there. Nah, it's not something that popped into my mind, but mm. but yeah, in this match we had a, a second interference from Adam Cole that night. So getting getting these two in a match, I think it's something that a lot of fans were pleased pleased to see. 
Do you think the interference kind of ruined it a bit? Or do you think this helps with Balor's sort of standalone gimmick that he doesn't need help from anybody? Uh, no, because obviously, as we saw after the match, Cole's standing over Champa. He's standing behind Balor. He goes to give him like a pat on the back and a pat on the shoulder just to go, you know, we're your friends. And Balor just hits somebody overhead kick. Mm-hmm. Just to say, like, no, we're not. Because Balor being a heel, you know, if it's a, a face, I stand alone character, and he wins by interference, it affects him. Whereas if he's a heel, it's like, well, he's going to cheat anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it was a good, solid match. Uh, like, obviously, these, these two are highly experienced veterans, and I think we got... For, for what we got for NXT TV, we, this could have easily been a takeover match. So do you think it was kind of wasted being put on TV? Or do you think, you know, given the pace and the tone of, you know, the fallout of war games, do you think this was the right time to do it? I think you had to do it for the simple fact that NXT has been can't miss for the past four weeks with the, the likes of Raw and SmackDown stars being there. Mm-hmm. And there's been some great matches in the build-up where, you know different combinations of the the war games fours um i think that was needed for the simple fact that we've come to expect this caliber of match on nxt and you know as sad as it is with takeovers only being between 45 times a year you're not always going to get a pay-per-view match of balor cole or balor champ or you know keith lee versus roderick strong you know so Seeing these things on TV is better than not seeing them at all. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, just one last point on this match. Um, do you think for the next NXT title defense, do you think we'll get to see Cole Champa, Cole Balor, or maybe even a triple threat? I think it's going to be a triple threat. It will be Champa playing off the fact that he pinned uh, Cole at War Games. Mm-hmm. And then. Balor playing off the fact that he pinned Champa and then laid out Cole. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of writing itself a bit. So I hope to see these guys in a in a triple threat because you know there's no there is somewhat of a face heel dynamic, but it's kind of like a face ish Champa, a heel Cole, and the sort of outsider Finn Balor. And I think that's probably the best ingredients for a really really good triple threat match. So, just before we sort of uh, wrap up our review with NXT, there were a couple of sort of undercard matches just showcasing some extra talent. We had Mansoor versus Shane Thorne. Mansoor getting a, a big win there. Do you think he's... Uh, you know, we haven't seen him since uh, the last Crown Jewel when he beat Cesaro. And a lot of the commentary was really hyping him up as a, as a, big, as a big name to watch. Do you think uh, Mansoor is going to get a bit more exposure going forward? He has been featured quite a bit on 205 Live recently. He defeated Brian Kendrick as well. Right. I can I can maybe see him, see the next time we have a Saudi show, maybe winning the Cruiserweight title and then maybe marketing 205 Live towards maybe the Saudi, you know, the Saudi sort of market. Maybe putting it on TV in Saudi Arabia, and you know that's that's how they get their money there, and that's how they get people to watch Two Hundred Five Live. Maybe. 
just one query with that is is that if you're going to be airing 205 live aimed at that market does that is that alongside all the other stuff or would you just or would it just be 205 live on its own um i think they'd obviously tell the other stuff because they don't want people to not know who the other guys are when they get there but yeah. i think 205 live would see a, a rather large boost mm -hmm. even with rumors and speculations that 205 might be getting cancelled See, the thing is, 205 Live's had a rumour about being cancelled since, like, 2018. Well, I mean, it's an interesting proposal, but obviously Mansoor, is, he's picking up a lot of momentum and he's getting a lot of fan support behind him. So maybe, do you think he could be the, the one to maybe win the Cruiserweight title? Maybe not necessarily from Leo Rush, but maybe from someone like, say, Angel Garza? I think, yeah, that would be a good... Garza is like a, a despicable narcissistic heel and next time they go to Saudi Arabia you know Mansoor's getting the big hometown welcome so mm -hmm. yeah I think I think it could work it yep uh, one other sort of match we saw we haven't really mentioned it was a, a women's match uh, sort of like an undercard match but with storyline implications we had Zia Lee going against Vanessa Bourne after she basically Zia Lee kicked Aliyah's nose off uh, her her sort of friend and partner, Vanessa Bourne, steps in to try and shut Zaya up. But this was a relatively sort of short squash match, give, largely to sort of make way for the the promo between the Horsewomen and Rhea Ripley. Yeah, um, see on WWE's YouTube channel, mm -hmm. this is advertised as Rhea confronts Shayna. The first like minute of it, it's quite confusing because it is this match, and then you see you know the beat down and then Rhea coming out to you know call out Shayna basically. Uh But one thing I will take away from this match is, and one thing that's really underappreciated, Vanessa Bourne's theme song is absolutely banging. <laughs> uh, uh, that's honestly the best thing I could say about this segment. It's, it's just Vanessa Bourne's theme song is amazing. I did like Rhea Ripley. Um, you might have beat Shane. Sorry, you might have beat Bailey. You might have beat Becky, but you didn't beat me. Yeah, uh, clearly they're hyping the Shayna versus Rhea for the for the women's title. Uh, possibly the next takeover, or maybe even Worlds. No, no, not Worlds Collide, because she Rhea's now full sail NXT now. Yeah, um, I think it'll be the next takeover. Yeah, so hopefully they can sort of expand it for. Maybe another... Uh, do you think they'll be able to drag it out for another two months? Because the next takeover is not until February. I think they might have a title match on TV that ends in a screwy finish. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you'll get uh, the takeover. Another, like, Rhea has to earn her match again. So then you'll have a couple of weeks of her trying to get herself back up the rankings. Yep. And then have a second match at uh, TakeOver Portland. Possibly, yep. And if, if, if that's the way it goes, I think the takeover match should be a stipulation match. And fantasy booking, let it be a submission match. I'd say a submission match with no interference. Yep. So everyone bang from ringside, submission match, submissions only. Because Rhea's obviously got that really elevated scorpion lock. Yeah, and Shane has got obviously the ankle lock and submission. Cross arm breaker. 
the Kirafuda clutch. Yeah, basically she's getting <laughs> Yeah, so you'd expect, you know, Shayna to have an advantage as well, despite, you know, all these stipulations in place. I mean, this, I think if they really, if they do this properly, this could be, this could turn into maybe feud of the year. It's certainly been the most, like, well done women's feud, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with that. But yeah, all that and more to come following the fallout of War Games and Survivor Series. So it's that time again, Ross. Um, we're now going to get to our uh, Wednesday Awards of the Week. So we have the Undeniable Award for Best AEW Segment or Match. So what are you going to give the Undeniable Award to this week? I'm going to give it to everything Chris Jericho touched. <laughs> <laughs> what, just in his uh, opening promo and in his match? Yeah. <laughs> Alright, keep it simple. Um, I am going to go my Undeniable Award. I'm going to give it to Pack versus Omega. Largely because, you know, this is their, their first match since All Out. And I think there's they, these two still have more to offer. So given that their match was solid and they've got a good storyline going forward, I think I'm going to give it to them. I can't do that. Yeah. I think it's just the, the Thanksgiving thing went on a bit a, a bit long and it got a bit tedious. But obviously Chris Jericho is the MVP of AEW. I mean, so I can't argue with, uh, with your choice. So finally now... What are you going to give your undisputed award for best NXT segment or match? I'll tell you what, why don't you give yours and then I'll, I'll give mine. Okay, right. Uh, my undisputed is going to go to Candice LeRae and Dakota Kai. The fallout from War Games was obviously a really big talking point from the women's War Games match. And having Candice and Dakota strike the iron while it's hot, you know, that it intertwines with the whole feud within Team Kick. They had a really good solid match, you know, it's not like a, a throwaway match. And Dakota getting disqualified, it builds on her heel character, but it doesn't take anything away from Candice. So this is a really, really promising storyline between between these three. So that's my undisputed, going to Candice and Dakota. I will give mine to Keith Lee throwing Adam Cole into the crowd. How did I know you were going to choose that? Like, is, you often pick, like, moments or like specific segments rather than matches but you know what there i don't make the rules for this you can choose whatever whatever sort of tick, ticked all the boxes and i'm actually glad that we're bringing that that gif up again because it was a really really goose funny moment i think it's gonna be one of those segments you see used in wwe for years oh absolutely so that's gonna do it for this week's episode of wednesday night wars uh Thanks again, Ross, for joining me this week. No worry. Yep. And if you want to catch up with everything we do here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, be sure to check us on our website, suplexretweet.com. Uh, you can follow our main show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. Be sure to get us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And as always with our big stack of bonus content, uh, you can find all this on our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet from just four dollars a month you can get this show and many others uh, as part of our weekly bonus content which we'll be turning out with a mixture of panelists under a mixture of topics i mean what more could you ask for 
Not much more. Get subscribed. Yep. Give us a buddy. Sorry, I had to get it in there. All right. So from my from myself, David Hockney and Ross McLeod, this has been Wednesday Night Wars, and we'll see you next week.